right, let's uh, do this uh, pre, pre-episode plug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the intro to the episode. Cool. So, thank you for tuning in to episode 14 of the Legacy and Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be breaking down continuous improvement as a part of our larger series on the foundational pillars for effective leadership. Specifically, we're going to touch on three things. Championing continuous improvement, how to do it, and why it's important. Why it's necessary to make sure you're solving problems through continuous improvement. And then lastly, how do you enable breakthrough thinking to drive growth. So please stay tuned, get your mining pans ready, because there are about to be a whole heap of golden nuggets in these hills. Boom. Love it. <laughs> music, 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 music. <laughs> dope, dope that? intro, dope intro, dope intro. Right. <laughs> right about now, you are listening to the Legacy and Leadership Podcast, a show where we discuss living as a leader worth following, leading others to do the same, and in doing so, leaving a legacy for future generations. My name is Jimmy Gonzalez Jr., a learning and development professional and leadership coach, sitting down with my co-host, Anthony Devon Watts Jr., an expert contact center leader that has effectively led and developed dynamic teams with high motivation. Together, we have over 30 years experience in the corporate game. Join us as we discuss our growth as leaders, share the lessons we've learned, and interview others to see how their leadership style was shaped as they were mentored by adversity. All right, now, Legacy Leaders, this is your co-host, Jimmy Gonzalez, Jr. of the Legacy and Leadership Podcast. This is episode 14, along with my homie, my dog, my boy, Anthony Devon Watts, Jr., (laughs) a.k.a. Leadership Docent. What's up, what's up, what's up? A.k.a. How's it going? Trey Deuce in the house. (laughs) Yes, sir. All day, all day. Um, So... It is a new day. Um, we already kind of broke down some of the things that we're going to be going over in this particular episode uh, as we ride along through uh, this series. Uh, you said it so well. I, I was saying like leadership expectations and I don't know, you said like leadership, I don't know, principles and <laughs> you're just so so eloquent in how you break I things just, down. I should be talking <laughs> The words, the words fall. The words fall in line. <laughs> uh, before our legacy leaders, again, we thank you guys for joining us. This is episode number fourteen. We are going to be breaking down continuous improvement uh, in regards to, um, or I should say, as a part of our series uh, in these foundational principles for leadership expectations. Um, as always, I just want to remind you guys: number one, make sure that you are liking, you are downloading, uh, and that you are subscribing to the channel. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast on any major platform, if you haven't heard, we're also on Amazon Music, so we're very, very happy about that. Um, yes, sir. Make sure that you leave a review; that would also be very, very appreciated as well. Um, number two, make sure that you take a snapshot, uh, a screenshot. Whether you're listening to the podcast on your phone, yes, I'm an Android uh, user, so I click the two <laughs> buttons on the side to take a screenshot. Or if you're watching, uh, again, the YouTube channel on your PC or on your phone, take that screenshot, go over to your Instagram account, or we've had some legacy leaders going to Facebook, so wherever you want to go, I don't care. But what we are asking is that you take a screenshot, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, uh, post it to your story, post it to your feed, uh, and then tag us. Tag us at Legacy Leadership. Uh, tag myself at Coach underscore Jimmy G Jr. Tag Anthony Devon at uh, Leadership Dosen. So uh, we definitely appreciate that. Again, really what we're trying to do is have you guys involved. Let us know that you're listening. Let us know that you appreciate the golden nuggets that we're dropping and all the hotness that is coming at you with the Legacy and Leadership Podcast. And number three, share. Sharing is caring. Share with your friends. Share with your family. Make sure that you're sharing with other budding legacy leaders and even some old school seasoned vets in this leadership game. Uh, Again, we would appreciate that, and I'm sure they would appreciate that as well. So three things. Don't forget. We appreciate y'all. Know that you love you guys so much for, again, continuing to ride with us. So, my friend, as we embark on this uh, journey in episode number 14, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing well, man. Uh, like I was sharing with you, um, I got to get out of the office a little bit earlier today, um, finish up the things that I need to finish up. So um, that's always cool when I get home, kind of enjoy, you know, kind of dinner time and downtime um, with, uh, you know, the family, you know, the boys and uh, get to watch them stuff their face while they both veg out um, Geo on his iPad. And then Lennox was like watching blues clues which has changed a lot since i've seen i've last seen it so i was kind of stuck too i was like what hold on what happened to the plot line where's steve who's this guy like <laughs> um but i got i got to watch that and then um the missus she ended up um hitting out heading outside to go roller skating and i put you know linux to bed and geo's chilling um and then i messed around and like caught like a like the old man nap like the dad nap. <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm just sitting there i'm watching the news and then like next thing you know it's like gabby walks in and she's like hey don't you have to record <laughs> it's like 10 minutes to, to the podcast so i've been like asleep for like an hour i was like oh, oh yeah yeah absolutely what what now what, what's going on <laughs> who touched the tv <laughs> so i'm just uh solely embracing you know the the metamorphosis that comes with you know just you mm-hmm. know being a father and being an old man and you know, I had a spontaneous nap. So the good news is that, like, you know, I don't need much sleep uh, to operate. So, like, I was sharing with you, like, oh, I guess I'm going to be up the rest of the night because <laughs> I got that hour nap. And, uh, but, yeah, man, everything's good. What about you with you, bro? Yeah, I'm good. I can't do it. I was thinking about you today. I don't know how that young cat just be up like that. <laughs> I need my sleep. I need my sleep. So, uh, but, no, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. Today was a good day. Uh, some good conversations uh, that I've had so far today. Things are, again, heading in a very positive direction overall in a lot of different aspects. So happy about that. Um, happy with the feedback that we've been getting on the last episode. So if you haven't listened to it, I say the last episode, really a couple of episodes ago um, with uh, with Dalen Perez. It was just a really good, really good conversation. And, you know, been getting a lot of good feedback from that. Um, I feel really good about the the last episode that we recorded and uh, excited about this one that we're uh, we're dropping for the folks right now. So um, told you that the in-laws are here. Uh, my mother-in-law has been uh, and my brother-in-law have been here since last Friday uh, celebrating her 75th birthday. So that was pretty Beautiful. cool. Yeah. Um, so it's been good. All love, you know, went to so y'all eating good. Good. Huh? We went to our favorite spot <laughs> on Saturday, went to Santiago's Bodega. Shout out to the Bodega here in Orlando, Florida, uh, and also the place of employment for my son. Uh, so if you're here in Orlando, you go shout out to Christian, my boy be working, doing this thing. Um, yeah, I had a, a wonderful time and actually yesterday was my stepdad's birthday as well. So I went over to the mom's house and, uh, wish him happy birthday. Mom cooked some food, had birthday cake and, um, yeah, just, you know, lots of love over the last few days. So that's always good. Um, everybody seems to be happy and, and feeling good about, you know, where they're at and where we're at as a family. So again, uh, all love, all good. Saw my nephews yesterday. I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. Um, so it was good to see little boys running around and get to pick up uh, Josiah, which I call it Jojo. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like I said, just, you know, spending time with the family, man. So quality time. Word, man. And, yeah. word, word, and word. then always excited about, uh, you know, catching up with you and seeing how you've been doing and recording this podcast. So, uh, so yeah, so we're going to get into... This continued conversation uh, last week, we spoke about employee engagement, and we have been telling you legacy leaders, our folks out there, uh, that the next topic that we're going to be breaking down is continuous improvement and, you know, really like relentless. I just I love that word relentless, but relentlessly seeking ways to get better. How do we get better? And how do we do so through innovation and uh, being innovative, being creative, um, you know, some of that breakthrough thinking, which we've mentioned slightly in other episodes, but um, using these different thoughts uh, and methodologies, again, to have continuous improvement in the team, in an organization. Uh, and I believe what we want to start out with, since we're talking about continuous improvement behaviors, is championing uh, continuous improvement itself. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's the best place to start just because, right, um, going back to our last episode, when we were talking a little bit about organizational behavior and we talked about the needs to like produce results, Mm -hmm. right? You have to be able to produce results in order and the results you produce end up validating or endorsing the culture that you've created. Right. Um, 
you know, in the pursuit of, in, you know, producing results, we have to improve. We have to get better. We can't rest on our laurels. I know, I, you know, for those that have been listening and following along, you know, I shared the story um, that I heard from one of the leaders where they were celebrating fourth. <laughs> fourth <laughs> place. Yeah, the, yes. The fourth place cupcakes, <laughs> right? Um, right. Um, and so one of the things that's evident, you know, from that story is that they had lost their their desire to champion continuous improvement like when you're satisfied with the status quo when you're satisfied with where you come in at and even if that's below the expectations um and you're not constantly challenging yourself to improve to how do we get to third how do we get to second hell if we're number one how do we stay one we were one before mm-hmm. we were number one before how do we allow ourselves to backslide into four was it um something that we failed to do or did just the the marketplace um innovate and get better and now we're having to play catch up, right? Um, if you're not doing that and having those conversations, then clearly you're not championing continuous improvement. Um, and I think from a leadership perspective, that's so critically important, more so um, you know, from an operations perspective, because typically operations is the closest to the gaps, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're being exposed to them. Um, on a consistent basis and I didn't really for me I didn't really develop a huge uh, deep appreciation for the the process improvement and project management work until um, I moved into uh, the uh, operations manager role um, at our organization uh, very early on in my career right so I had been fortunate enough to get uh, experience in operations as a sales leader moved into learning development and got that experience right and so um, the next step for me I ended up you know, moving into a process or operations manager role, which was responsible for kind of the support functions of operations. So we had workforce and um, stuff like that. You know, we had uh, a group of dedicated, you know, like kind of floor support escalations um, that I was responsible for. But then I also had to wear the hat of um, process improvement Mm -hmm. and continuous improvement within the organization, Um, you know, outside of like PCI audits, but just like, okay, we have a new initiative coming out. Like, how do we implement this? Um, and it wasn't until I really got into that role that I realized two things. One, that next to next to learning and development, you know, continuous improvement truly is the lifeblood of the organization, right? You have to make sure that you're teaching people, investing in your people, first and foremost. And then you have to make sure that you're refining and reviewing your processes, right? Those two things have to go hand in hand. If they're not working properly, it doesn't matter how talented the people are. It doesn't matter how talented operations is, right? Um, operations can, um, the talent operations can be so, you know, you know, stellar that it can overcome some of the challenges from a lack of investment Mm -hmm. and also process gaps, but it's not going to be able to close the gap entirely, right? And in reality, um, a solid learning team, a solid um, learning commitment, and a solid process improvement commitment can actually shore up any gaps when you have talent opportunities from an operational perspective, right? Um, Because if if you're investing in people and the process is good, um, you don't necessarily need the best the best of the best talent um, in order to be successful. The system, the system, going back to uh, more sports. Oh, they don't do it. System, don't do it. <laughs> the, the, the system, <laughs> um, the system is built um, for success where you don't necessarily have to be, you know, um, the best at your position in order to be to, for the organization to have success. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really important, starting with our operational leaders, like don't put the onus on process improvement and continuous improvement to live in your support groups. Because um, as much as I learned about the importance in the process and I was responsible for it, I could only get things done through operations, right? I could only get things done through operations and I relied on operations to bring, bring to our attention where the gaps existed, right? Um, but also be a part of the solution. Um, and so, um, I really do think it starts there. You have to champion those things, um, you know, first and foremost. Yeah, I appreciate you just saying, you know, that last part, because that's kind of what I was thinking, too. I mean, even in a support role from a learning and development perspective or learning and performance, I mean, there's only going to be so much we can do if we're not seeking feedback and um, information and the perspective of the operators, because um, ultimately they are the ones in the trenches running the business on a day to day basis. Um, you know, and I think back for me, I kind of 
cut my teeth working with Matt Penny's uh, and, you know, getting into that role and, and working through that continuous improvement process. And we're always looking to get better. At least you should be, right? I mean, anytime that you, you get to that point where you're feeling comfortable about your performance, you're kind of resting on your laurels, short term, maybe that, that, will, that will work. But in the long term, it's just not going to be beneficial for the company and the revenue and the positive things that you're trying to do as a team and as a company overall. So you should always be taking a look at what ways can we look to improve and, and even if it's little by little, but get more efficient along the way. Um, so from you know, from a learning perspective, if we have new initiatives, new trainings, uh, again, new processes, being able to find out where the gaps are, what can we do to to fill those gaps, coming up with solutions, partnering with operations, partnering with all of the different support functions, uh, putting these ideas and these new strategies into place, and then still taking a look at, okay, is it working? How are we doing with that? Going back and, and possibly tweaking the strategy uh, and continuing to enhance it along the way so that you completely eliminate those gaps uh, and again you have those improvements in those areas that you're looking to to um, see progress in and then if need be again then you find maybe a different a different section a different area within the business to continue to look to improve um, but I do appreciate you saying you know the the engines of growth you know do kind of sit with uh, the organizational development kind of those process improvement folks uh, customer experience, you know, individuals and, and just learning and development. It's important to continue to invest in those groups so that there's the right type of investment in your people. Um, no, a thousand percent, man. A thousand percent. I would also say too, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I would also say too, you know, just kind of what you're touching on the importance of, um, you know, operations, you know, um, being committed to continuous improvement. The biggest thing that I've noticed in my experience, the difference between other you know, uh, organizations I've had the opportunity to work with and where I'm currently at uh, right now is um, prior to joining the current organization I'm at, you know, it wasn't a part of our culture, right? And we're going back to culture. It wasn't a part of our culture to really um, index ourselves to uh, you know, what best in class was in our space. Mm -hmm. Like when we think about, um, you know, driving improvement, like I'm going back to, you know, our, our time together here at Sears. Um, I don't really recall conversations where when we were talking about improving or getting better, where we discussed, okay, well, what is this company doing? What is this company doing? How does this company, you know, handle their, their call monitoring or their, um, their sales, their inside sales strategy? How does this company do this? we didn't really have those conversations. It was really centered around, well, okay, well, how do we think that we can improve on what we're currently doing, right? Um, where where I'm currently at, there's a, like that's, a, that's very much a part of um, our continuous improvement process as we are rolling out different initiatives or proposing different changes. There's literally, there's, a, there's this intentional, um, there's that word again, but there's this intentional desire to learn and to make sure that you're indexing yourself to what is best in class and comparing yourself. So like we made a, we're making a change as simple right now as um, our, our um, quality monitoring form, mm -hmm. our side-by-side -side form, right? Something that everybody, if you've worked in any space, you need to assess the overall customer experience or are your people doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? You think it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? There's certain things that have to exist and you, you want to you know, make sure you monitor, or you capture and you score and you rank and all that stuff. It seems pretty straightforward. Um, but as we've gone through this process, as we're going through this process, you know, one of the very first things we did was we sourced um, from our existing talent. We sourced what is their institutional knowledge from other, you know, other best in class companies that they've worked at to say, OK, well, let's put this on a matrix. Right. And what did your quality monitoring form include? Right. What were you assessing? What were you assessing? And then when we were working or developing out our solution, we were anchoring ourselves or indexing ourselves to, you know, the Disney's and the Wayfair's and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, the Amazon's, these major players. Right. In our space, these major players in our space to say, OK, well, you know, Wayfair's includes this, but, you know, um, but it doesn't include this, but our form does include this. Right. And, um, you know, Disney, they, you know, they measure these competencies, but they don't measure this. But, you know, um, we do. We measure that. And the commitment at the end of the day was to ensure that um, from a foundational perspective, 
we had everything everything our our competitors every you know best in class in the industry was measuring mm-hmm. well, obviously applicable to our, our our organization and the additional things that we felt were were the secret sauce or are the secret sauce that differentiates us right um and um so i just think when you know, you're talking about continuous improvement um and it, it's not just uh functional or tactical of like you know going through six sigma and lean and all that stuff like you know i have my you know i have my six sigma certification and all that good stuff right so um i got you know the the certificates out the wazoo right um and it's less about that to be honest with you when you're talking about a commitment to continuous improvement it's more about um you know a a, a culture or a commitment to constantly assessing your performance in comparison to others in the space even if you're the preeminent player mm-hmm. right like even if you're the preeminent player right even if you're number one like constantly saying okay well how are results comparing to this organization because they're dealing with the same challenges in the same environment what are you know what does their sales strategy encompass and how does that compare to our sales strategy where does it differ where does it align what is their learning development strategy uh what does that comp- encompass how does that compare to ours where do we differ where do we align and if you're constantly doing that you won't find yourself in a situation where you walk into a break room and there's cupcakes celebrating fourth place. You know what I mean? Because you're always anchoring or indexing yourself to the best in class. Even if, again, even if you're number one, like I don't care in any industry that you're in, whether it's business, whether it's sports, whether it's academia, all that stuff, you can, you know, figure out whoever number one is there, right? Um, in basketball and football and, sport, you know, in business and um, education, right? Um, we'll use education to lay off the sports uh, analogies just a little bit, right? Um, but you got to be there. You're you have to be naive to think that you know um, uh, institution like you know Harvard or Princeton or Stanford, right, are not aware of what other Ivy League schools are doing in that space, right, or the innovation that is occurring in these different you know. Um, these different universities, right? If, um, you know, MIT or um, John Hopkins or, right, any of these schools are doing something that's um, different, innovative, um, cutting edge, like Harvard is not just focused on, well, oh, what, what curriculum are we, you know, are we, you know, delivering? They're paying attention to what's happening in the education space and they're making sure that they're staying at the forefront because first and foremost, that's the value prop. Mm-hmm. That's the value prop. That's how you attract the the best and brightest future talent. That's how. That's why people say I want to enroll. That's why people say I want to go and teach there, right? And so it's no different in your organization. If your organization is not anchoring itself to the the industry standards, the best and brightest in the industry, um, you may be number one right now, but innovation is going to catch up to you. And after a while, people are going to be seeking out where the innovation exists, where the desire to improve exists. Because what you're offering is dated. Exactly. And it's, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of something cutting edge. I don't want to be part of something that was in its heyday. Like, yeah, that's cool. Y'all had y'all little run or whatever. Right. But if you've lost that passion, that hunger that allowed you to build, take that number one spot. Right. Um, and um, maintain it and continue to stay on the forefront of innovation, you'll very quickly find yourself surrounded by a bunch of people that have no desire to improve because the people that want to get better and always you know curious and seeking to innovate and learn they've gone where the innovation exists so i think you know continuous improvement has to be about that it's not just about these tactical things yeah uh, learn about lean yeah learn about um kazian yeah learn about six sigma i absolutely do and if you have a a passion for process improvement or project management there's definitely going to be a space for you um you know out there in the industry but again more important than those tactical things you know if you are just operationally focused on challenging yourself to get better and always indexing your performance to others in the industry regardless of ranking whether you're number one or you are dead last um that is how you really champion continuous improvement in your organization. Yeah, I think it's it's easy for a, a company or organization who is somewhat falling behind, right? Like, you know, you have to do those things. But again, it should be a part of the of the culture of the business. But one thing I learned is it can be really easy to get it. But then how do you keep it? 
Mm. Right. Mm. So as you mentioned, once we get to that number one spot, how do we stay there? And you have to stay there or you stay there by the things that you just mentioned. Right. And being open to to suggestions from your teammates, from the folks on your team, the, um, you know, the brain trust uh, of the people that you have that you've hired and you've brought onto the team itself, being open to suggestions from other companies, like you said, and, and being willing to to experiment and try different things. Having that creative mindset and, like you said, being forward-thinking uh, and pushing the boundaries is what's going to help you to continue to stay in that number one spot. At the very least, be super competitive within you know that number one, number two, or number three spot. And then just to cap it off again is, you know, just the creating that environment of learning and development and it's not just something that you that the company says is important uh, but it's something that is truly important to them uh, and you see that because of the decisions that they make because of the conversations that they make uh, again i told you just you know in some research recently just kind of you know floored and i'm not sure i mean i'm sure that this is not the only company but it's one that i've came across recently that learning and development was one of their core values and as you talk to people, you know, within the company, you, you see that, again, that is something that they truly do live by on a daily basis. Um, and one thing that I came across is, you know, you can't build a foundation for the future without investing in your people today. So having that continuous improvement, having that that continuous um, and we talked about that in the last episode too, right? That employee development, but specifically focusing on learning and development or learning and performance, all of those things are going to continue to help you get to those goals in that number one spot that you may be trying to achieve. And then how do you stay there and how do you keep that spot? And, and again, keep, um, making sure that you're, you're still, um, very marketable as a business and, and that you're a player in that space, uh, for, uh, for a long time to come and there's just longevity you know within that as well so um, mm -hmm. when I think about a term that I, I also recently kind of learned about was just you know a generational company right and a generational company mm -hmm. is thinking about the future and how do I mm -hmm. develop my people today how do I um, raise up leaders today so that we're not just winning today but we're also going to be winning five years from now 10 years from now 15 years from now and all of that has to do with again being a champion of continuous improvement oh, i like that i like the the being a generational company that's the first time i really heard that articulated that way but um i couldn't help but naturally think right like just to really drill drill home the point about um investing you know today for the future um you know, I, I think you'd be very hard pressed to find any parent or um, yeah, any adult that would be willing to mortgage the future of their children. Right. The future of their children, um, you know, to stay relevant. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think there are certain things that, um, you know, as as a parent or um, as a steward of the youth <laughs> of future generations that like we're just like you can't compromise on right like um there i will never you know for example i'll you know a, a super um kind of you know dramatic example of that right but like i will never i'm not going to put you know um credit in linux's name you know at two years old you know right now and run it up like crazy right because my credit is not where it needs to be right like that that just wouldn't be smart right that I, why would i why would i mortgage the future of my child right um to satisfy my need for um netflix today you know what i mean or something like that right like it's um and so it's easy to think about in our personal lives where there are certain things where we wouldn't we wouldn't mortgage our futures we wouldn't mortgage our nest eggs or anything like that right we figure out how do how do we preserve what we're building while still solving solving the, the opportunity today but unfortunately it doesn't seem like that thought process translates 100 percent um into the workspace because you find examples time and time again of organizations that will mortgage their future mm -hmm. in the hopes of hoping you know in the hopes of achieving something today right um and it doesn't have to be as dramatic as some of the things that you know, we're talking about but it's it can be subtle and honestly it's those subtle those subtle compromises, those subtle, um, you know, decisions to, okay, well, we're just going to cut this. this is, it's just temporary. 
and then we're going to cut this right that end up being you know the death by a thousand cuts that mm -hmm. find you you know 12 months from now 16 months from now 18 months from now 24 months from now right um behind the eight ball from an innovation perspective right because that you know one of the uh, and, you know, in finances, in, in business and in leadership and anything, right? The most valuable commodity you have is time. You like it's it's finite. I cannot get it back if it's gone. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that time where you were not making those investments, where you mortgage the future of your organization, where you um, you did not spend time taking care of the engine of innovation, right? One of the engines, the pieces that contribute to the engine of innovation, um, you're only going to get so much mileage out of that bucket. You know what I mean? But before your engine kicks <laughs> and then like the car's not, the car's total is not worth anything anymore. Right. Um, I've seen, um, you know, you, you and I both can attest to that. You know, we've seen plenty of, um, you know, old, old clunkers on the road, where the engine was taken care of and it's running just fine. It may not necessarily be the most aesthetically pleasing, right? It may not have the same type of sheen and shine that it used to have on it, right? But it has 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 miles on it, right? Like, we can change the body work. The body work mm -hmm. is nothing. But if that engine goes, right? And so um, I guess that would probably be the more appropriate analogy, right? If you're just thinking about, you know, this vehicle that you're traveling in your organization, right? Would you... Would you pass up oil changes and, you know, you know, critical maintenance to ensure that, you know, the exterior, you know, looks flashy, right? That you know, I need a new paint job instead of, uh, you know, getting, you know, new spark plugs and oil change, right? Um, you know, uh, you know, changing out fuel injector, like, nah, you wouldn't make that decision because you understand the long-term ramifications that it could have on the viability of the vehicle, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so... If you really look at learning, development, and continuous improvement as central essential cogs in the engine of your organization, um, I think you would you know you make some different decisions when you talk about investment. So um, I like that you know um, you know trying to be a generational company or being a generational company also means that you're not mortgaging the future of your generations, right? Um, and that you're being um, you're being strategic, you're being effective at dealing with the circumstances as they are now while not compromise on the long-term the long-term strategy and investment that you've been building because you know that well this is temporary today is temporary um i'm building for tomorrow and beyond mm -hmm. that right um yeah no well said i like that thinking about the future uh and and planning for that while taking care of business today and it is it is tough you know when you're uh, when a company itself is you know somewhat in survival mode and you can't necessarily see past the day uh, but it's up to the leadership you know to to, to focus on the things that are necessity today, but also how do we plan and prepare and develop for the future. So as you're going through this continuous improvement process, part of that is recognizing that there's problems, right? There's problems, mm -hmm. there's challenges, there's issues, there's things that need to be fixed. So as you're coming across these, these different problems, it's definitely important to to focus on kind of the critical few, like the few things that you know are really going to make that that dramatic difference uh, and it's tough when you may find yourself in a situation where there's so many problems so many things are broken and maybe it's just because of that the company wasn't forward thinking there wasn't continuous improvement processes so all of a sudden you wake up one day and processes systems um, you know techniques are outdated and old and now you realize well in order for us to continue to move forward we have to change, but it's we have to change everything. And again, when you're trying to survive, uh, it is very difficult to not at least attempt to change everything. But it is important when you're thinking about now that we know what these problems and challenges are, how do we go about solving them? Is doing your best to to focus on again the critical few. We you know we mentioned kind of the Pareto principle and that eighty twenty rule, right? So focusing mm -hmm. on the the twenty percent that are going to get us eighty percent of our results. Uh, again, which is very difficult when there's so many different things going on, but that's that's where hopefully you have the, the proper resources in place to help you to prioritize, to kind of go through those process improvement, um, you know, strategies to really say, OK, we know that 
we have five or ten things literally you know that need to be fixed but what are the the top three that are really going to to get us to where we need to be short term and then even in long term as we start to continue to then focus on some of these other things that are on that list as well absolutely well i i think that's where um you know, going back to some of the tactical component, right? So I know I spent a good portion of the time kind of talking about the the commitment, the commitment and the cultural commitment to seeking out continuous mm-hmm. improvement. But here is where I will make a plug for some of the tactical benefits of traditional uh, process improvement uh, methodologies is because um, it's very easy at times when you're looking at a mountain of problems to mm-hmm. say, well, we got to fix it all. Yeah. <laughs> like it just all has to get fixed. Right. Because I understand too, as, or as organizational leaders, as operational leaders, we're wired to be able to think, well, I can't, I can't endorse any of this being broken. Right. So yeah. like, if, if I just say like, Oh, well, we're only going to focus on this. That's kind of like me saying, well, we're going to focus on this three, but the other seven is acceptable. Right. And that, it's counter to how we're wired. Like, no, absolutely. And that's not acceptable. Yeah. It, it all needs to get fixed right now, right? None of it. <laughs> yeah, none of it is acceptable. It's all bad, right? And so I, I, while I get that and I appreciate it, tactically, tactically, you can't, you can't, you can't eat the entire elephant, right? In one bite, right? You have you have to really prioritize what is going to have the greatest impact. And that's where I think using some of these tactical uh, methodologies for process improvement is critical because you have to be able to remove emotion from it and speculation. Like if people are going into the discussion saying, okay, well, what should we work on? Well, I think, right. Well, I think um, this is going to be the best. Then uh, we shouldn't be thinking at this point. Right. And especially we find ourselves as an organization that's in survival mode. We have to be sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So where are the facts? And so some of these more tactical methodologies that are requiring us to define the ROIs is critically important because then you let the the data drive the priority, right? If I'm looking at 10 things on the list and one thing is going to be dramatically transformational in terms of its ROI for the organization, you know, lifting our revenue 10% versus um, something that's going to weed out, you know, half of a percent of waste right um half a percent of waste um well it's very easy (laughs) it's very obvious what i should do what i should focus Mm -hmm. on what i should focus my efforts on um and so um i think a big part of being able to solve problems right to your point is being able to hone in on what is the most impactful problems to solve for it doesn't mean that you're not going to get to it all yeah Right. But you need to concentrate your efforts. Right. You need to concentrate your efforts. You need to concentrate um, your your resources. Um, right. To 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 drive the biggest impact. Right. To drive the in, the biggest impact. Um, and so uh, I, I think, you know, kind of you sharing that is critically important, like the Pareto principle definitely works. Uh, but again, leveraging some of these traditional um, you know, process improvement tools can really, really help you to define that ROI. Um, and I say, I would say, you know, after that, right, really, you know, as you're going through that process of defining what those those problems are, um, being relentless about looking beyond the obvious, because I think that's a shortcoming too, um, you know, just for organizations. Sometimes we think that um, the 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 gap or the problem is, oh, like, like I'm looking at it right now, right, like let's say sales are down right revenues down oh okay well the problem is that sales people aren't trying that's the issue right like i you know yeah you know, i went on one ride and i listened to the, to the sales pitch right or i i, I listened to a couple of sales calls and the problem is that the the sales people aren't trying the sales people are bad that's it that's the problem that's it that's the obvious um and that may very well be true but um we owe it as an organization to do our diligence and to dig beyond the obvious and to ask the, the, the consistent whys to really get down to the root cause. Because the root cause may not be a training opportunity at all. Mm-hmm. The root cause may be a system opportunity, right? Where your sales folks are, um, they have to approach their conversation a certain type of way because of system constraints, because we have an archaic system or um, a dated methodology, right? That this is the only way for them to do the job. So they do the job that way and we get the results that we get. And no matter how well you invest in 
the latest sales techniques and strategies and lingo and objection resolution and super fancy, um, you know, verbiage, right, to uh, overcome, you know, challenges or resistance, if the system is still the same, you're going to still get the same results. Yeah. Right. And now our resources, our efforts were invested in the wrong place and it's not driving the type of impact that we want to see in the organization. So um, I think that's the other challenge, you know, for, you know, for a leadership team, for organizations, not just to, um, you know, make sure that we're focused on, you know, narrowing our scope of what we're trying to solve for. Right. And honing in on the ones that are going to be the most impactful. But as we're doing our diligence, to identify the problems and um, get to the root cause that we're not just taking the obvious answer, mm-hmm. um, because, again, it could be something much more systemic that um, needs to be addressed. Yeah. So what I heard you say is, you know, which I definitely agree with, right, is is using making sure that you're you're doing the proper analysis and you're looking at the facts and looking at the data. Uh, and where is that leading you to the biggest, you know, ROI and return on investment that you're going to get for these efforts that you're going to put forward? Uh, and then with that root cause analysis is asking those five whys or asking the why question five times. So you ask it the first time you get the response. Well, why is that? Well, why is that? And you continue to go down. But even after you get to that fifth one, continuing to, to ask more questions and really dig deep into all of the possible areas that could be affecting maybe this one issue. Um, and, you know, I always love when you use a, an example like that, because, you know, even it could be training, but sometimes, you know, depending on the the operations team, uh, that word just training is just kind of flippantly used a lot. And, oh, it's a training issue. Well, it's not necessarily a training issue. We, we have workarounds because there's bugs or there's things that are broken within the system. So we've created workarounds. Okay, yeah, I'll give it to you. We haven't trained, let's say, new hires on these workarounds. But we shouldn't have to have workarounds because we should fix what the problem is in the first place. Uh, or when you say training you know, is it the content and is it the content that needs to be updated? Are there changes that we can make from that perspective? Uh, or is it the delivery of the content itself? You know, and are the things that we can do within the trainers, uh, the leadership team who's delivering the content to help them develop, right? And make sure that they have what they need to be as effective as possible. Um, so yeah, there's always just a, a litany of different situations that can come into play. So you have to keep an open mind. You really have to probe all of the different sources that are out there to get to the root cause, the absolute root cause of the problem, uh, and continue to ask as many questions to feel confident about the analysis and then your decisions moving forward on what you feel are going to be the proper steps to solve the problems at hand. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually one of the things I like that you said too about the um probing all the the potential sources Mm -hmm. for solving the problem Um, because i think one of the one of the other shortcomings um, that we run into in operations um, is we have this i don't know i want to say maybe hero mentality or maybe not I i don't i don't know the best way to describe it but we have this mindset right that well because we're living in it we're the ones that are best positioned to know how to fix it and that could that may very well be true, but then the other the the counter to that was if you've been living in it, then why haven't you fixed it already? That's one. You might be part right. of the problem. Right. That's one. Potentially. Um, right. But two, right. What I've actually found is it's it's counter to that. It's when you bring in people that are completely ignorant or naive about how it's supposed to work, and you bring them in and expose them to it, and then just tell them to learn. Like, hey, can you just, you know, observe and learn? And because people naturally are inquisitive, they want to understand. Mm -hmm. And so they will naturally ask questions through that process to get to a certain level of comprehension. And those questions will illuminate where some of the gaps exist. If it's not intuitive, right, if it's not intuitive, there may be an opportunity. As you're asking those questions, if I have to have this tribal knowledge passed on to me, right, um, from folks that have had it passed on to them and so on and so forth, then maybe there is a bigger systemic issue that we can fix here. And 
I, as the operator living in it, may not have necessarily identified that as the kind of the linchpin of a problem. Because for me, I have the tribal knowledge. I grew mm-hmm. up in it. So I know. So it's like, oh, yeah, no, you just got to do this and you keep it moving. Right. And to me, it's that simple because it's minimum effort, right, to do so. And I just keep it moving. But because it's not intuitive, right, we could be, um, we could be, you know, glossing over what is a bigger systemic issue. And um, that one thing that, you know, in my mind, maybe just, oh, is that, well, you just got to do the workaround. That workaround may be the delta in the 10%. <laughs> The 10% improvement. Yep. Like it could be just that workaround. It could be because that because of that workaround existing is not intuitive. You can't just plug anybody in from the street. Um, you re- you require additional um, expense and investment in the training process to account for that workaround. There's additional work streams that are being driven by that workaround mm-hmm. that causes additional costs in the organization. And so that could be money you're investing back into recognition programs or back into you know your kind of your drivers for your revenue. But you have to have all these support functions to exist to support the workaround because it's just a workaround, right? And so um, I've always found that to be helpful is to bring in somebody that is not married to the business, the process, doesn't have the institutional knowledge or the tribal knowledge and drop them in, ask them to learn, ask questions. We're here to help you. Uh, Force me to explain it. Force me to explain my business to you. And as I find myself explaining the business to you and then having to explain to you something that is either not documented or that I picked up along the way, or I find myself trying to rationalize and justify why we do it that way. Chances are those are all of the things that are the root cause problems that need to be addressed and solved for in order to really unlock the potential for the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said, man. All right. So we we've chopped up thing very, very well. Uh, being a champion for continuous improvement. And then within that, there's going to be problems. How do you solve those problems? How do you keep an open mind uh, and do a thorough, thorough root cause analysis? Uh, the last kind of tenant that we wanted to to discuss in regards to overall continuous improvement behaviors is cultivating and, and enabling that breakthrough thinking, right? And mm-hmm. And helping your team and we talked about a little bit with just being innovative, right? And forward thinking, but in that process is how do you, how do you really help the team to put on a different set of lenses and, and have those paradigm shifts, uh, especially if they, if they've been there for a while and there is that institutional knowledge, how do you help to change that mindset so that they're seeing things differently and maybe not completely, uh, but like you just said, they, they, they're able to somewhat see like an outsider coming in because they've been able to, again, take off those old glasses and put on a new set of lenses. No. Yeah, good question, man. Really good question. Um, so I think there's a couple of things, right, um, that can help cultivate that. Um, and, you know, some of the things, you know, I've, I've picked up along the way, um, you know, kind of in my journey, especially this new organization. I mean, I think that's probably worth stating too that, um, you know, for our listeners, I, I really hope that you all understand that as we talk through these things and we're, we're sharing um, advice and tips and stuff like that, these are not things that we just, we, we knew by osmosis, right? These are things that we've learned along the way in our journey from learning from other people, from asking questions, from picking people's brains, from observations, mm-hmm. um, from, um, you know, seeing what it's like when it's done wrong, uh, maybe being a part of when it's done wrong, right? And then learning from that and finding ways to improve, right? Um, but one of the things that I think um, is really helpful to help break out of that that thought process, right, kind of get away from some of that the the shortfalls or shortcomings of um you know kind of that tribal institutional knowledge is when you find time to um like going through the investment process or you're building out your your project team to try and get as many cross-functional stakeholders as possible Mm -hmm. right um in in any opportunity you can get so it doesn't necessarily just have to be around okay we're gonna we need to fix this problem so we need somebody from this group and this group and this group and this group and so we'll bring them all together and because they have different thought processes and you know um they work in different organizations or different parts of the organization we won't have that kind of legacy knowledge or tribal knowledge that will bog down our creative thinking um but because 
because to be transparent, it's hard to really cultivate the, the needed level of creativity and collaboration when the only time we get to do it is when the place is on fire. Yeah. Right. Like think about that. That's like. That's like saying the only time that uh, your squad – now, I am going to use a sports re- a reference. Um, that's like saying the only time that your, your starting team or your starting squad or the people that you're bringing in to win the championship for you, um, whether it's football or basketball, the only time they get any time on the – let's use basketball. Um, the only time they get any uh, you know time on the court together is in the fourth quarter of the title game. Like – bro like when the odds are the the stakes are the highest that's when you throw me in like where i have uh, now i have to figure out this person's nuances in their communication and make sure that we're on the same page and um every single gap or miss or anything that's dropped is magnified or amplified that much more because the stakes are through the roof like can we get like a preseason can like we get a chance (laughs) to like just get to know each other you know what i mean like get a couple games in before like we actually try and make this 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 title run and so I think that's a shortcoming of organizations. A lot of times, the only time we build together, build our dream team and put them in the game, right, and get them opportunity to get reps together is when um, is when the stakes are the highest. Like I think back to, um, oh, here's an, a, a good example, the, 90, the 96 dream team, right? Um, it was supposed to be the greatest collection of basketball talent ever. I know the 92 dream team is the one that we hold the standard to. Absolutely. I so I'm not sleeping on that. But some of those some of those players at that time, they were a little up there in age. Like Larry was up there in age. Magic mm-hmm. was up there in age. Right. Um, so they're the ones that definitely established the kind of the 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 reputation of uh, USA basketball as really being like preeminent. Right. Because we got away from using college players and we had these pros and they went and dominated and nobody even saw them. But that 96 team actually had the, the designation of being the greatest collection of basketball talent ever because everybody was in their prime mm-hmm. everybody was in their prime and if you recall uh <laughs> this is crazy I, I love how uh you know things just kind of fall fall together like this but if you recall the undoing of that team was the fact that one they already they are already bought into the idea that nobody on the world stage could challenge them mm-hmm. so they were the best collection of talent but they had no chemistry they didn't they didn't practice that well together. They didn't play that well together, right? And while they were resting on their laws of being number one from the 92 season, right, and taking for granted, the rest of the world took those four years to really invest and innovate and figure out how to get better. And what happened? You had Argentina. You had um, France. You had Spain. You had all of these countries really double down and focus on how do they invest in their international programs and the U.S. team ended up losing to the competitors because they found themselves quickly going from one to, like, three or four because everybody else was innovating while yep. they were not indexing themselves to the rest of the industry, right? Um, and so um, going back to kind of the, 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 gist of, the gist of that is you can have a dream team of talent to try and solve this problem, but if they've never gotten reps together before and you're throwing them in when the stakes are the highest, uh, it may not work out so well. And so how do you avoid that? How do you get them preseason? How do you get them um, practice? Well, you have to embed that into your culture. So like one of the things that, that um, we actually do is, you know, throughout our training, like the leadership training that we're, you know, we're doing right now, we've built together, co- we built cohorts of leaders, entry-level leaders, that are from different business units as a part of the cohort. So you're not going through training with, you know, everybody that's in your know, voice or all of the people that are in writing team or all the people that are in specialty. My cohort group consists of somebody from voice, specialty, email. We don't work together normally, right? So I've cre- we've created the space, the opportunity for these people from different business units, different backgrounds, different experiences to learn together, to work together to deliver together over the course of two, two and a half months, right? And if you approach all of your training that way, well, what happens when you have a bigger initiative and you need to pull together people from different backgrounds and experiences to collaborate? Well, I already have the experience of working cross-functionally with some of these folks. We have the chemistry. We put in the reps, mm-hmm. right? So it's nothing for us to 
do a, a pickup game. It's nothing for us to you know um, be thrown into the championship game and we have a little bit of a different rotation because I've already worked with these individuals. And so I think that's the other problem that uh, organizations make is too often the, the moment we think about, oh, we need diverse perspectives and opinions is when <laughs> the stakes are the highest and we can't afford to have a miss on this and these folks don't have the chemistry, the, the rapport, any of that um, going for them, and then it just it, it exacerbates um, or magnifies when misses occur, and it just it raises the stakes unnecessarily. We can control that just by making cross-functional collaboration a true tenet of continuous improvement and are part of our culture. Yeah, you have you know you have these teams and these organizations that have been working in silos for such a long time, and then like you said, now it's it's crunch time or you know that the ship is sinking and we need to do something different oh we probably should really work together and like you said cross-functionally get together share ideas and how do we you know work off of each other's ideas and then you know within that process try to be more innovative in the solutions that we come up with um so you know you're, you're talking about making sure that as you're going through these different projects having just a really diverse group of stakeholders and bringing everybody to the table um but you also mentioned too like it's whether you're talking about practicing and getting together and, and building synergy within a team, it's investment, right? Like you say, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't, uh, it takes money to make money. But when you think about investing and you're investing to get a return, regardless if we're talking about financial investments uh, or just the investments of time, which is a resource and calories, which is a resource is making sure that again, it's, it's part of your culture and not something that you're doing uh, because it's it's the last resort or you realize, OK, well, you know, now we have to do this in order to survive, in order to move forward. Um, again, that's what builds uh, a foundation. That's what builds that future growth and allows for um, the improvement that you're looking to really sustain within those returns as you continue to invest in your people. Um, yeah, because I, I was just thinking like, um, you know, not to belabor it just a little bit, but like, um, <clears throat> how like how can you you can't expect rapport or you know or, or chemistry to exist if we haven't had the opportunity to work together like how often have we been mm -hmm. thrown into situations um where we're used to working with our group and then now we're asked to expand beyond that and we have very minimal interaction and um you know prior to this and so it just slows up our, our ability to accelerate time and really get to the root cause and to um, you know, to really get to working on the problem because you have to go through that that chemistry phase, right? That that phase of getting to know one another and how we how do we communicate effectively in the whole nine, right? Um, <clears throat> that um, that kind of really slows down your progress. Like, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about the, you, you communicate differently, right? So you communicate differently. Um, you know, uh, with your teammates at pickup games than people that you've been, you know, um, working the season with, right? So, like, if I hit the playground and, you know, somebody's not cutting, somebody's not, um, you know, passing when they should pass, like, the way I approach that situation may be a little bit different. I may not say anything at all, mm -hmm. right? I may just try, I may try to overcompensate for their shortcomings and just work around them. Maybe I start cutting them out altogether, right? I'm like, okay, well, I'm just not going to pass them the ball anymore. Like, they can't dribble, they can't shoot, right? Um, play defense, maybe, like, hey, play defense, play defense, right? But I'm not going to have the healthy friction that's needed in order to build a team of high affinity. Mm -hmm. But with people that I've been building with and working with, right, like through the off season and then, you know, um, you know, through the games and we built a rapport over time, like the way I communicate to you during the game and during halftime is a lot different because we built the rapport. I, you know where I'm coming from. You know my intent. You know, I know how to communicate to you effectively. I know how to motivate you. I know how to um, hold you accountable. All of those things, right? And so we're able to get more things done. And people call that, oh, they have better chemistry, right? Well, yeah, exactly. They have better chemistry because they've had time to develop all of these things that are critically um, critically essential in order to deliver the results that you're looking for. So why, as organizations, do we not look at it as really what's required to build a team and operate our organization like that, like a team, meaning that 
you know, offense gets reps with the defense and, you know, you guys are sometimes attending film sessions together, you work out together, all of those things. And why are we treating it like pickup games? Right. Or, all right, bro, you go and work on your own game. And then, you know, when it's time to play, like, we'll just throw y'all in the game really quick. But it's for the championship. <laughs> it's for the championship. Right. And you got to figure all that out. You got to figure out communication and play styles and, um, you know, um, idiosyncrasies and timing and um, all of that. And you got to do it when the stakes are absolute the highest because you're not going to get an opportunity uh, to to do this again. Like you're you're unknowingly setting yourself up for failure because you're robbing yourself of the most valuable component of continuous improvement when it comes to communication, when it comes to chemistry, when it comes to rapport. That, that's the way you set yourself up for success to have diverse ideas, to cultivate, create creativity, to champion continuous improvement, to actually solve problems is by making that investment and doing those things. Um, Putting thought to it, um... Yeah, I, I just think that there there has to be a strong level of discernment to see those things and then to act on those things. But the other thing I think is maybe even more critical, you know, you, the example that you gave about the 1996 um, U.S. basketball team is just humility. You know, realizing that, you know, I think about situations uh, that uh, that we've been in and it's almost you think so highly of yourself and, and the work that your group has done and you can you can lull yourself to sleep to thinking that you know there's not other good ideas from even folks within your own business itself um, and it's just important to have you know to have humility to have that good discernment about the type of judgments and the decisions you're going to make when you're looking at these different ideas when you're listening to different folks you got to be humble to make sure that I'm listening to, again, a diverse group of individuals. And as you're listening to the ideas, again, having good judgment and also being humble in those ideas and all those suggestions so that you're not just hearing something and then just shutting it down right away. You know, really analyzing it, really working through it and hopefully even building off of it to make sure that we're collectively creating the best possible solutions uh, based on, you know, again, these these different uh, thoughts and perspectives from all of the stakeholders that are coming to the table. Um, Humility, discernment, definitely important. And again, all of these things that we're trying to do, right, is, you know, how do we improve the return? How do we really get the type of growth uh, that we're looking for? And again, taking off those those set of lenses, putting on a different set of lenses and really having that breakthrough thinking and, and really being, you know, what could be considered a breakthrough leader because you're seeing things from that perspective and you're really working towards it uh, in that respect. Yep, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So continuous improvement behaviors, we have just run down continuous uh, champion, continuous improvement. Uh, how do you solve problems? Uh, making sure that you're doing your uh, analysis of that, that you're checking the facts, uh, that you are doing a very healthy, very strong, a very deep root cause analysis. And then how do you cultivate and enable that breakthrough thinking uh, and drive growth uh, through bringing all the stakeholders to the table, being diverse, making sure that there's discernment and good judgment in the decisions that you're making. There's humility in that process uh, so that you're open to all the ideas and all of the diverse thinking uh, that's around you uh, and and realizing that you don't you don't have it all figured out. And it's going to take bringing, you know, multiple people and multiple verticals, maybe even within your own business to the table and sometimes even going outside of your business and, and taking a look at what the competitors are doing so that hopefully you get to that number one spot. But even if you get to that number one spot, you're able to keep it and truly, uh, hopefully really create a company that is can be considered a generational company and is here not just for today, uh, but for the future and for the long haul. Well said, man. Well said. Well said. So I hope our legacy leaders, uh, I like what you said at the beginning, like, you know, I hope they were ready to mine and get all those nuggets uh, <laughs> that we just laid down for them. Um, as we look to the the next episode, again, we are going to be finishing up this series and really getting into integrity and, and taking a look at how we conduct ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, the decisions that we make. Uh, the character of the person, you know, the standards that we hold ourselves to and that we hold our teams to uh, and how important that is to to the person, uh, to the team. And especially, again, if you're looking to be a leader worth following, 
your character and your your standards and just the integrity that you have of a, as a person uh, is probably the biggest component, right? Because it's not just what you do in front of people, uh, but it's what you do when people are not looking and you're all by yourself. Uh, and are you making the right decisions in the right way for the right reasons? So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be our next episode. Uh, again, we thank you guys. A couple of things before we leave you today. Number one, make sure that you subscribe, that you download. Yep, click the buttons below. Uh, they're all around. Uh, if you're if you're following us uh, on the YouTube channel, hit that little bell as well so that you are alerted every time we drop a video. Uh, and don't sleep. We are going to continue to drop some bonus episodes and some additional content for you. Uh, so you want to make sure that you hit that alert button. So you may think, oh, well, every week they're going to drop a new video. Uh, you never know. We're going to surprise you with that bonus content and some additional learning. Uh, so hit the button and make sure that you're alerted. Number two, click. Take that snapshot, take that screenshot, whether you're listening to the podcast on your phone, whether you're watching the, the YouTube channel, watching the video itself, take that snapshot, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, post it, tag us uh, at LegacyLeadership.com. If you're on Facebook, Legacy uh, in Leadership Podcast, at Coach underscore Jimmy G Jr., at Leadership Docent, tag us, let us know that you're listening, let us know what specific nuggets you took from this, what resonated with you the most. We definitely would appreciate that. Uh, and then number three, share. Share with your friends, share with your family, share with other legacy leaders uh, that are just starting out that you know would be able to, to really, really uh, gain a lot from these stories, these experiences, uh, these different tactics and tenets that we're breaking down for you folks. Uh, and also for the vets that are out there. It's, uh, repetition is the mother of learning. So even if you've heard some of these concepts, it's never, never a bad idea to be reminded of some of these things. Uh, and maybe even just hear a different perspective that uh, on a concept or an idea uh, that you learned or were taught before, but you're hearing it from two different individuals coming at it from, again, a different, uh, different angle with a different perspective. Um, to do that, share, sharing is caring. We appreciate that very much. Um, Again, this is Jimmy Gonzalez, your co-host, along with Anthony Devon Watch Jr., uh, co-host of the Legacy in Leadership podcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys very much. And until next time, God bless and stay encouraged. Absolutely. You have just listened to the Legacy in Leadership podcast. Hosted by Jimmy Gonzalez and Devon Watts. Thank you, and we hope that you live, lead, and leave a legacy worth remembering. Until next time.